Hello, welcome to the Petcast, brought to you by leading pet charity Blue Cross. So, as you know, I share my life with my beloved puppy dog, and I think I know what she needs and wants, but do I? Do any of us know what our pets are telling us? There's all sorts of different tools that you can sort of use and and really it, it is about spending the time observing and getting to know your dog. In this episode, Loose Women's Kay Adams joins me to help me pick the brains of Kayleigh Hill, who works in the rehoming team at Blue Cross. She'll help us work out what each little habit or quirk actually means. Are we kidding ourselves or are there different dogs slash breeds that are more intelligent? What is our definition of intelligent, I guess? Oh, you've dodged the question. uh, (laughs) And this is what we do on the Petcast. Have candid conversations around the big issues facing pet lovers like me and you. With some of the UK's leading pet experts who are on hand to give us their best tips, tricks and guidance. Kaylee, welcome back to the Petcast and welcome to you, Kay, too. Lovely having you on. I've been really looking forward to this episode because we've researched some of the most asked questions on the internet and I've got loads of questions too. As you know, Poppy Dog has got a list of ailments. Kay, I'm sure you've got a load of questions. So, Absolutely. Kaylee, I hope you are ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> Kay, firstly, tell us about your dog. Oh, my dog B, who funnily enough is out for a walk with my partner, which is very unusual because I am the dog walker in the family. When we first got the dog, it was like, oh, who's going to walk the dog? But it actually has become one of the great loves of my life going out yeah. walking with the dog it's really really strange I mean mm. I, I don't have any other hobbies particularly apart from sort of spinning around frenetically but taking the dog out for the walk is just a joy um so she's a cockapoo her name is B. she's now seven I call her my menopausal old lady. Um, she's just, <laughs> just like her mummy. We have dropped into that strange kind of language that we use with each other. Um, and she's the sweetest nature dog. She she mm. really is. And I guess everyone says that about their dog, don't they? But she she really is. She's a joy. And, you know, through these kind of difficult times that we've had recently, and I think a lot of people have said the same thing, you know, that their pet, whether it's a dog or, or another pet, that they can just kind of be calm with and not discuss what's going on in mm. the outside world, but just, you know, spend a bit of, you know, whoo, time with. Um, it's been you know, a real blessing. And lovely, so. I found as well. Yeah, exactly. When we we only had to do that hour of exercise, yeah. you know, it was lovely just to go out and um, with her, with Poppy Dog. I've got a 12 and a half year old Parsons Russell, who's, oh. I mean, uh, um, again, miserable like her mum. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, you know, it, it, it was really nice, that escapism oh. and joy to sort of go out walking because, I think if I just went out walking on my own, it just wouldn't have been the same. Yeah, no, it's a funny mm. thing, isn't it? Before I had a dog, I'd never went out just for a walk. No. You know, I mean, I would walk from A to B or whatever, but you wouldn't go for an aimless walk. You'd feel a bit of a weirdo, to be honest, which is ridiculous. But with a dog, you've got a purpose, you know, which mm. is, I'm walking my dog. But of course, there's four of us in the family, you know, during the whole kind of lockdown period. So poor B was exhausted because everybody <laughs> right, saw that lead be. come out. <laughs> Not again. Oh, not again. <laughs> <laughs> she's as um, fit as she's ever been. 
Yeah, I think Poppy is actually. And yeah. she's, I, I think she, it's funny, I, I, I think she's in her old age, she, is, she isn't walking as far as she, and she doesn't play with the ball as much. But I think going out more and more with her, she has, her fitness levels has 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 got better. I, I guess that is a fact, isn't it, Kaylee? That they, it's like us, isn't it? We get better at, and our muscles get stronger. This is it, yeah. I think um, certainly when... We we have seen the opposite as well, where um, because people are around the house more and the, they themselves are going in and out the kitchen cupboards more, they're feeding dogs treats at, at the same time. So I think it's uh, as long as it's balanced with the yeah the the the, the healthy diet, then the, the fitness yeah it, of a lot of dogs has, yeah. has really improved. It is interesting that though, isn't it? Because um, my colleague and friend on Loose Women, Nadia Sawala, actually she has she's two dogs, but one of them is the half sister of my dog B. Um, and they've got very different markings, but they're similar in personality and, and everything. But uh, Chi-Chi uh, would run all day. It's busy, 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 run, 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 run. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas B in the house is really placid. Um, and she was saying to me, why is this? Why is this? You know, they're virtually sisters. And I did ask a friend of mine, and Kaylee, I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on this, this friend of mine who's a doggy person. Um, and he said, well, and this is true, Nadia would take chi-chi out all the time to tire her out so run 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 chuck the ball chuck the ball run 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 mm-hmm. and he said basically she's training an athlete <laughs> so instead of sort of tiring her out she's building her fitness and the yeah. dog just wants to run all the time That's is it. that the way it works yeah I think they they do they they get up to that level and then they need that to to have the outlet that stimulation and because the reserves are there and absolutely they, they need they need some way of burning it off so yeah it's like a, you sort of create that for yourself which works brilliantly for some people that's what they want from the dog and yeah uh, but for others yeah it can it can get to a point where it's it's too much it depends a lot on the breed as well I think yeah. if they're a working breed and they've been bred that trait for them to work for long in, endurance periods then then that's that's going to be very easy to bring out of them <laughs> well, she regrets it I tell you <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, Kaylee, I, I've got a question. So when I speak to Poppy sometimes, especially if I say, do you want to go walkies? No. Did you hear that? No, she didn't. It's okay. Um, she sort of does this yawn and then she does this cry like, like that. That's nice for the listeners. What does that mean? So this is an interesting one. I think yawning in dogs can there's there's different theories out there sometimes it's that they're kind of anticipating something so in this case that would make sense with 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 the walk in other situations they can do it as a way of almost trying to diffuse the the tension of a situation if they feel a little bit of conflict about something but I think in the situation that you've described there especially with that that little vocalization afterwards it's that anticipation knowing that that something she's going to really enjoy is about to happen and it's almost a way of well it's just expressing that excitement I think oh she's happy oh that's the main yeah that's the main thing does B do anything Kay like really sort of weird if it because how much I just think Poppy knows everything I say (laughs) <laughs> well, I say the same thing, but I mean, I think that means we're overindulgent owners, really, aren't yeah. we? But um, yeah, I mean, there's certainly certain keywords. I mean, when I say walking, she loves walking. So she will very immediately become alert and she's waiting for the lead and, you know, she's ready to, to go. She loves her walk. So mm. uh, that's pretty obvious. She's good on dinner. When she wants her dinner, she'll come and she'll sit beside me and do a little, she's like a pigeon. 
and I'll say, do you want your dinner? And then she'll head downstairs. So mm. she, she's pretty good that way. There's a couple of things that she does, and I know this is really common uh, and lots of different dogs do it. But when if she's in the house and I come home or anyone comes home, actually, and she's excited to see us, she gets quite frantic that she needs to find either a sock or a shoe or a slipper or a mm. something yeah. that she can get in and her show mouth you. and yeah. show. Yeah. And, you know, she won't just come and jump up. She needs to go get that thing. Yes, um, yes. And you can see her go, oh, I don't have a thing, I don't have a thing. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. What is there, so go back to hunting days or something? I or? would say with her with her breed, she's got those Cocker Spaniel genes in there. They, they've been selectively bred to do that retrieving for us. So certainly that's going to play a big part. But also I think a lot of other dogs would do it too if it's something that previously they've been given attention for in some way uh, and, and and we might have rewarded that at some point um you know if we're encouraging a game of of, of fetch and they do seem more likely to do it when they are excited um so in that situation where you you're first coming home they're more excited aren't they and they, they want to bring something to please you and as something to do the the thing is if if we encourage them and praise them for bringing a toy to us how do we get them to distinguish between a, a shoe that's maybe not supposed to uh, have in the mouth and that, that visitors might not be so happy about. And in that case, the best way to manage it is is only have things available that you yeah. are okay with them getting and bringing in and, and put the other things so that they just don't have that opportunity. We do um, not have a, a pair of matched shoes in the entire house. <laughs> Every single one of us, you know, when we're going out, so we'll put on one shoe and it's like, where's my other shoe? <laughs> I mean, it's just... Every single day. And, you know, obviously in previous times with my kids, when I'd have tons of teenagers just in all the time, not anymore, unfortunately. And they would all come in very, you know, politely and they'd leave their shoes at the door. And so I would come home at night and there'd be like 10 pairs of shoes. But of course, then they would be going home and it's like, where's my Air Force trainers? Where's my shoe? Where's my shoe? Because B had been all over the place with his shoes in the garden, all around. Poppy. Is is obsessed with this? I don't know, but be rolling in poo. No, she on never her does. <gasps> you lucky yeah, thing! I can't believe it. You lucky thing. She's a clean queen. <laughs> <laughs> what? Why? Why? Well, this is something. There's quite a few theories out there on this one. None of none of which are, are really proven. I, I mean, well, it's funny. It's, some dogs don't do it at all and others it seems to be this really instinctive urge in them yeah and they will they will just I know my our first family dog would be particularly drawn to to fox poo and um, it it seemed to be that over anything else and the smell is just so difficult to then get rid of it can be yeah quite difficult for owners uh, to, to, to manage that (laughs) <laughs> it is it's vile isn't it and the stench and mm. and um, probably always seems to do it when she knows I'm I'm heading to work or I've got oh. to be somewhere so she'd write do it and then because you've got to I've got to bring her home and I've got to bath her and there's no quick way to get rid of it or is there because it is tomato ketchup supposed to be it's supposed to be quite I heard good that funnily enough Oh, I can't say I have heard that one. So I wouldn't like to to sort of vouch for its effectiveness either way, but (laughs) it's not going to do any harm. (laughs) Oh, that's all right then. Do you know what um, I would love to know is, do dogs have road sense? I mean, well, I can say, first of all, B has no road sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, if a 40-ton truck was coming down the road at 60 miles an hour, mm-hmm. she'd just walk out. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. 
it no. baffles me. I mean, I would never, ever let her off the lead. I no. mean, some people have got their dogs really well trained and you see them walking along the street, a busy street with the dog off the lead. Yeah. And, and I just go, oh my God. I it does that. still fill me with, with, with concern that because I think even the most well-trained dog, as you say, they don't have that level of understanding in them to know Do they the, not? The, the potential of, of colliding with a car is, is, is going to be you know maybe even fatal for them they just they don't have that understanding um, you see cats will run across a road and they'll try and dodge a car mm-hmm. yeah you know they seem to i don't know what they're sort of thinking but with b as i say it's just poof, no mm-hmm. concept whatsoever so i think you're doing exactly the right thing there we, we would always advise keep them secure on a lead anywhere where there may be traffic but the thing as well is there's the there's always a situation where they may get free and so in that instance if you've done the preparation work with the training to train a really good stop cue that can really save the life in a situation where even if they're distracted by something you want to build that into the training where there are distractions so that they still will listen to that when you ask for a stop and they just it's an automatic thing for them because yeah you just never never know when that might save their life Mm. I just wish, I mean, Poppy, when she was a lot younger, I mean, if she was off the lead of in the woods or, you know, somewhere different or a new area that I didn't know, if she saw a cat, that she, she's gone. Mm. And that, that, that is, me. and you can, it's almost like they have that red mist, don't they? And so they might know the word leave is for Poppy to stop and, but no, not happening. Yeah, that that's right. It's really, it's really important in the training to build up and up and up gradually the level of distraction. There's no point asking for that straight away when it's not totally inbuilt into them because as you say all of the other adrenaline and and uh, that chase mode just overrides the, the other systems in that Did scenario get to an age where you know they become very difficult to train to that level you know if you haven't done it when they are a puppy I think the age thing is more about what what they would be comfortable with and see as potentially fearful or not I think in terms of the things that we can train them you can start to build that in at any age so I think if if an animal is say they were never exposed to traffic or roads when they were in what we call the critical socialization period when they're they're young puppies then it it can be really hard to remove that 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 fear of something that they've not learned to accept as 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 being okay but if we're talking about teaching a cue like a stop cue then I think you can it's just the amount of time that you're able to give to that different dogs will pick it up at different paces whatever age it depends a bit on the breed and their individual personality too do you know how you get some people who say, oh, my dog's very intelligent? Oh, she's very intelligent. <laughs> very, 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 very intelligent. Such an intelligent dog. I mean, are we kidding ourselves on there? Or are there different dogs slash breeds that are more intelligent? What is our definition of intelligent, I guess? Oh, I you've mean, dodged the question uh, there. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> It depends. I mean, I would always look back to what have they been bred to do because that, that influences so much. So... If we're saying that it's intelligent, if they can, uh, like we said before, do a do a really good retrieve for us, then it, we might interpret that that a cocker spaniel's really intelligent picks that up because they pick that up quickly. When actually, it's because we've bred for that characteristic for however many years. One that we've bred for companionship, like a cavalier, might take a while longer to do that. But there's, there is bound to be differences in in level of intelligence too of, of course as, I think I'm people. one of those annoying people actually Kay I go oh yeah I've got a very bright very bright dog I swear she can tell the time 
I swear <laughs> she knows it's half past three. Well, when um, I was away on tour, my mum had Poppy and she would say, oh, I think she's, I mean, she was a nightmare, so sp- spoiled her. So she would feed Pops at half past three, mm-hmm. which I said, it's far too early, mum, you know, for having dinner then. But no, she's hungry and she knows, Emma, she says she knows it's half past three. She can tell the time because she comes up to mum and says it's ready and it's, it's, it's dinner time. Do you reckon that's that she's right? They are such creatures of routine, I think, and, right. and they really do well with routine. So if, if you will build that routine in and something goes different from that, they will let you know about it for yeah, sure. she does. And we see that time and time again. You know, my parents' dog is fed um, th- three times a day and it gets to the, the middle feed, 12 o'clock, and it's almost to the minute. It's, so it, it is uncanny. And, and yeah, they, they, their body clock, the routine, it's definitely there. Kelly, I've got a bit of an embarrassing question. <laughs> what to do when Poppy will continuously bark at either a cyclist, somebody mm. in high vis? Mm. Um, I don't know, Kay, have you got any issues with what B doesn't like and starts barking? Well, only one tiny thing, actually, because she's not a barker really at all, apart from sometimes with the dogs next door. But it's and this tends to be a winter thing. If we were out for a walk and it's winter and, you know, people are kind of bundled up with heavy coats and things, it would be a guy like a a, a man with a big coat and a black hat. If he was to come over and to to pet B, you know, very nicely, not to be threatening, you know, hello, hello, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. She just doesn't like it. And she would start barking and sort of back away behind me. And it's Mm. very distinctive. Mm. It's a bloke Mm. with a sort of covered head. Gosh, that is. Mm. It's Mm. very weird. Very weird because she never barks at people, ever. Hats are are a fairly common one, actually, with dogs. And I think it's something that we, because it it changes the silhouette of us to almost, I think, so that they're not even sure whether we're people in the same way that that they're usually used to. So it's usually um, probably because they're a bit unsure that the barking's happening and it's a way of expressing, I don't really know what's going on here and I'm a little bit worried and this is my way of, of vocalizing that so we do sort of uh, recommend to people if if when they have younger puppies uh, when they're doing all of that socialization training with them exposing them to lots of different things hat people in hats is one of the things we'd say to cover off with that so that they do learn during that that critical period that if if it's introduced in a way where it's positive and and not scary. They they they're accepting of that throughout life uh, more readily. Then, God. But can we stop her from doing that? Can we? So, is, is, yeah, I think that what I'd say is um, I, the thing not to do, and what people tend to tend to do in these situations is to sort of maybe rush over and and yeah. and, and 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 make a fuss about it, um, even if that that's in a kind of no, what are you doing? Stop, you know, yeah. stop barking, and that to a dog is is still attention and so we might be inadvertently again actually reinforcing because they may even pick up that oh mum's worried about this too this is something I should be worried about and and actually it'll exaggerate it in the future potentially yeah I'm at fault there because if if somebody you know especially during lockdown your deliveries were happening quite often and anyone Mm. in the high vis and pops go out and I'd be like 
puppy, come back, puppy, and then shouting and saying, mm. it's okay, she's not going to hurt you. And of course, I'm now, I can hear it doing it now. My voice is higher. I'm, yeah. uh, you know, I, yeah. I sound panicky. So yeah. Poppy's going to be like, well, mum, mum's agreeing with me there. So yeah. Yeah. And that situation, what you say, saying that the, the barking when someone knocks at the door is so common, isn't it? And we see yes. it more and more now because we're getting more online deliveries in, in the times that we're living. And people can sometimes think that's because they, they're not, um, they're worried about the the person at the door, or that they, they they feel in some way aggressive towards them. But a, a lot of the time, that that might not be the case. It's just that we may have bred them to alert us to different noises, and so they're they're, they're just communicating with us. When you think that's the barking, it, it can be a real seen as a real nuisance to us as people, but it's it, it's part of their way of communicating. Yeah. So to, it's a big ask of a dog for them for them you know to to stop that completely isn't it I was waiting for um her to get a bit funny with with the masks you know Mm. because obviously if I she comes out in the car with me or whatever and I've gone into a shop and I've had the mask on um and then (laughs) I don't take it off until I'm sat in the car and she's looking at me and I did actually think is she is is she a bit iffy about that? Mm. But she, yeah, touch wood, um, that hasn't happened. But I wonder if it has. Well, we people. definitely in um, in the rehoming centres within Blue Cross, we we all the dogs that we had in our care, we built in a training program to gradually build them up to get them used to people in mass because we did anticipate that for some that that would be very similar to the the people in in hats or high vis something different that could cause them to be worried we're talking about doggies a lot but cats what does it mean when they sort of like blink at you constantly the blinking I remember the first time I sort of began to understand about cats blinking as a way of communicating was quite a revelation uh, to me because you what you'll tend to notice it is um if if they're maybe relaxed on your knee and you do a slow blink at them then they'll do that that back at you and it's so it's a lovely way of having a little conversation so with talking them. to you yeah yeah I mean eye contact for cats um is actually something that's quite confrontational so if they're staring at each other it, it's a, it's a, a sign of a threat so they tend to avoid staring at each other what can happen is if there's something they're fearful of they can almost get locked in and and it's like they're not able to look away from the thing that's causing them fear so my cat, when somebody new comes to the house, he's, he's, he's quite nervous of anybody different. And the first thing he'll do is jump up on, on the fridge, which is sort of the highest surface he can find. And he'll stare intently at the person and he can't move his head away from them. He's hyper alert. And the pupils will dilate. And that's because he's he's worried. So as I say, yeah, the, the blinking is, is is usually a really lovely communication tool. So I would say if you've got a cat, give give that a try. And I can almost guarantee if they're relaxed and content, they'll, they'll do it right back at you. Oh, I'm so doing that. That is so cute. What about when they're purring? Because I, I, I don't have a cat. But is, is that because they're happy? And I'm the same with my dog. I, I think like she talks to me. Hmm. She might be growling at me. She might be busy. But is she? are they happy? The pairing typically does happen when they're feeling content. Yeah, you're right. And they're, they're relaxed and content. Um, and usually they'll often do it if they're, you know, padding, like they'll, they'll pad when they're kittens and padding for, 
for the mum for milk. They can still do that on your knee when they're, when they're adult cats and that will often be accompanied by a pair. But what surprises people actually is, is they can pair even when they're actually in pain as a way of self-soothing. So when I used to do veterinary consultations, sometimes a cat that was, was clearly in pain would, would still be pairing, um, which, which is very unexpected. So how did you distinguish then between a pain purr and a happy purr? Mm, it really is. It's the same with looking at any one signal in isolation doesn't really tell you very much. So it's looking at the rest of the picture of, of what's going on, the context of the situation and what the rest of the body language is telling us too. So if you have a cat uh, that we've described who's pad in your knee is seems very relaxed and and is seeking affection that that's almost certainly going to be a content pair if you've got a cat that's looking uncomfortable otherwise maybe hunched or holding themselves in a position that they don't normally um uh, and and they're doing a pair that sometimes it can be almost there's different types of pair, so you might notice it's a bit of a different pitch or or uh, intensity. That then the more time you spend around your animal, the more likely you are to to pick up on those those subtle differences. I know my cat will um, sometimes pair to elicit something from me, so it, it'll get higher in pitch and more intense and and fast when she's actually not not just trying to have a nice moment with me, but saying fill the feed bowl up. Mm. Um, and I'll, I, once I learnt that. Yeah, I can I can really hear the difference now. I listen out for it. <laughs> you were saying about being in pain. That's a question that I, I I've been worried about um Pops for a while. Um well she's always there's always something wrong with my dog, bless her. But I always worry, is she actually in pain? Like she was poisoned during lockdown. Mm. Um she went and, and she was ever so sick. And well, I thought I was gonna lose her at one point. But we've she's mm-hmm. she's she's got back to her sort of normal self. But I just wonder, you know, is there a signs where I know that she's actually in pain? There's all sorts of different tools that that, that you can sort of use. And, and really, it, it is about spending the time observing and getting to know your dog so that you can pick up on any subtle differences. So say if we're talking about something like arthritis in dogs, you might find that it's something as subtle as not wanting to walk quite as far as they used to, or the play sessions, they'll initially be very excited, but then just can't quite keep up with it or people will might find that they'll go from jumping in the the back of the car themselves to still being there and wanting to go but being hesitant and not appearing able to jump in uh so so yeah it de- it depends on what the underlying reason for the pain is as to how it it might be expressed but i think if you as an owner think there's something that i've noticed different here so with a cat for example it might they sleep a lot anyway they sleep 16 to 20 hours a day but if you find that they're sleeping an awful lot more than usual it that could be because actually it they're avoiding pain by being in the comfy bed and and it could be something as subtle as that that you pick up on that you'd then get checked out with your vet and and could be arthritis and then there are things that can be done to help make them more comfortable Mm. why do dogs and cats sleep so much (laughs) so yeah i think it's to do with the fact that they are that predatory species. So it, it makes sense for them to really conserve all their energy for that act of hunting to get their meal. So it's storing up all those reserves. So they've got that big b- bout of energy to, 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 yeah, hunt for their meal. Is it, um, is it a, like a worrying sign? And 
uh, if they wash themselves, both cats and dogs. So I know somebody that they've got a cat and they're constantly licking and they're losing their fur. Poppy suddenly again started to adopt that. So she's constantly licking and licking her bottom as well a lot. Mm. She's still flexible then. (laughs) (laughs) She hasn't got any arthritis, no. (laughs) So, I mean, with that situation, if she's licking around her back end like that, that can typically be associated with them having (laughs) an anal gland problem so that that can get impacted. So it's worth checking that that that's not not the cause. Um, If it's a cat that's, that's... over grooming I would firstly be asking has anything changed in the environment recently that that may be causing them some level of stress because they can over groom with with stress which is is again quite a subtle thing you might find that you think they're washing themselves a lot more than normal but actually it's because they're itchy um so have a little look is it just generally all over or is it is it targeted on one specific area have a feel of the skin in that area. Is, is is there other stuff going on? Is there scabs in there? I mean, the the, the most common reason that we see for richiness in, in dogs and cats is is a, is a flea allergy. And, and you can't always see the fleas, evidence of the fleas on them because um, the, the ones that react so severely, actually, it might just take one bite and it's the saliva that they react to. And so it's not always obvious, but it's worth checking. Are you, have you got a good flea prevention program going on? We should move on to like smaller animals, I think. Um, what about like bunnies? Is You know, you see the, the, in the cartoons, they're always stamping their feet. What does that mean? In real life, so the thumping of the feet it it could it can be a way of them demonstrating that they're frustrated about something, but actually more commonly it's a fear response. Um, so it's a way that they because they're a very social species. If they thump their feet because there's some anticipated threat, it will signal to the rest of the rabbits, um, "Quick, let's all run down to the warrens now to escape this potential danger," and so. It's it's something I think that that's really sad if you have rabbits that are kept on their own because they're such a social species. It's really hard for them to feel safe if they're on their own. And oh. because they feel vulnerable, they're more likely to thump more frequently, say, in reaction to a noise that they're unsure about. I know I had a colleague that had a pair of rabbits and when one sadly passed away, oh, don't. Um, she noticed while she was looking for another companion overnight the rabbit did start thumping really loudly in reaction to any any noises because she just couldn't relax on her own and oh. when when she did then find her a, a companion again that all stopped because she felt safe um so yeah I think it, it highlights just how crucial company is for rabbits God, you make me feel terrible because we did have a, a rabbit muffin mm-hmm. uh, before we got B. It was kind of the trial run, you know, would the kids look after her, et cetera, et cetera. And so she was a single, he was a single rabbit um, in, in the house. So it was a house bunny. Yeah. To be honest, we pretended it worked. It didn't really. But, you know, <laughs> anyway. And, you know, he used to kind of hop about a bit, and but it, it never really felt that happy. We didn't really kind of know what to do though I have to say my elder daughter was brilliant at looking after him um but then we got B and we didn't know whether or not because B was a little puppy obviously at the time should we introduce B to Muffin who had Mm. been with us at that stage I don't know two years but we didn't because we were too nervous because we thought Mm. oh my god what if the puppy just suddenly savages this bunny and you can imagine the kids standing there going ah 
Yeah. Um, so we kept them apart. Mm. Um, mm. But I don't actually think that was the right thing to do because, of course, we had like baby gates. It was very tense, actually, in our house for quite a long time. Oh, my God, don't let the dog eat the rabbit. Um, and I don't think she would have, but we couldn't take that risk. So we had baby mm. gates to separate them, which can't have been very nice for old Muffin. Um, so I think we probably, and I'm sorry, we did all the wrong things, you know, Aww. unwittingly. It, this is the thing that it's so many people just don't realize and you can't beat yourself up about that but I think that's why it's great we have the chance to sort of talk about that that as a message now I think with rabbits if I could highlight anything it would be that 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 need for companionship of their own kind because it used to be very often they'd be kept with guinea pigs and that was thought to be um, very acceptable whereas we've, we've sort of moved on from that now and realized that a lot of the time with that combination the guinea pig can end up being bullied even if it's not obvious with injuries they because they're just not naturally meant to be together I do feel guilty about muffin though because you know there was a bit of a time that being a house bunny that it was a bit trendy and mm. if I'm really honest as parents we couldn't quite you know we were quite weren't quite ready to have a dog mm. but you know my daughter was just so desperate to have a pet and she went on and on and on and we gave in we did everything wrong and I mean she did look after the rabbit really, mm. really well. I mean, never mm. neglected, mm. but we didn't know enough about it. We clearly mm. didn't know enough about it mm. and mm. we probably shouldn't have done it. Mm. Um, and I do look back on that and thank God that was a bit naff. I mean, even like God goldfish, I mean, they were really young. I remember going to, it was at Pets R Us, the big store saying, I want to buy a goldfish because one had died. And the girl, I was quite sort of <laughs> peed off at the time, but I absolutely admire her. She wouldn't let me have a goldfish. Because Not, she interrogated right. me about, you know, the tank, the this, the that, the that. And she decided that, you know, our conditions weren't up to scratch. And she wouldn't give me a goldfish. Mm. And I, I was you kind of, oh, my God, you know, a goldfish. Because, I mean, I was brought up when you get them in a bag going That's home. That's right, in the fairground. You know, um, <laughs> and I remember going home in the car and I thought, at first, as I say, I was a bit teed off. And I thought, well, God, good for you. You know, I mean, she works in a pet store. She did absolutely the right thing. And she she was right. She was right to say that I couldn't have it. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm actually, I thought, you're a champion of goldfish. It's <laughs> she said that the average age of a goldfish should live for about 15 years. Is yeah. that true? I think you're right, though. With with any pet, I think if if you can build in the time to do that research part first, it makes all the difference in setting you up for success and, and uh, for, for them and, and your ongoing relationship too. But certainly with rabbits, they are typically bought as, as children's pets, aren't they? And I think um, just, just having that understanding that um, because they are a prey species, they tend to, to usually just feel comfortable when they've got all of the limbs in contact with the surface. So the idea of kind of picking them up and cuddling them as a children's pet is in conflict to what they might feel. So there's things that you can do to to, to make that work. I mean, in a, in, as a house rabbit, they've, they've got access to a lot more space than they would if they were kept in a small hutch but but if you were looking at an outdoor setup the things we tend to recommend is is ones that you can actually walk into so something like a kind of wen wendy house so the children can can spend time with the rabbits but they might be able to sort of sit on the floor next to them and and, and the rabbits can in enjoy that interaction and come up but they're not being made to feel fearful by being lifted into the air so there's all that like I say all, all that kind of research side of it you can you can make things really work I know my niece and nephew uh, if they 
if they can, they will pick up a rabbit, pick up a guinea pig, pick up their tortoises, you know, and how do they know if that's not what they the animals really want? Absolutely. I, th- I think really we should be, rather than relying on uh, on the children picking up on, on that and intuitively being able to read the signs, sort of talking about it with them from the rabbit's perspective and explaining that, you know, they they are a species that was preyed upon. So, it's so alien for them to be in the air, but what we we can still sort of interact and 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 do things with them, but by giving them choices. So look look at the environment they're in. Have they got places where they can hide if they want to? And yeah, you can teach uh, you can start to teach them about body language, like you say, something like the ears. But on its own, um, that's not enough. Look at the the rest of what the the rabbit's doing too. So if the ears are pinning back and the rest of the body looks like it's hunched and crouched and ready to flee and the sussing out where they can hide then clearly that's a sign when we want to just back off and 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 not force anything on them because um then it might get into a situation where the rabbit feels so backed into a corner that they resort as a last resort to 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 biting and um and then they learn actually that that's that got the desired outcome the person backed off which is what I was trying to tell them all along so they're more likely to do use that as a tool in the future and it kind of becomes a vicious cycle mm. what mm. about dogs and cats how do they feel about being lifted up mm. I think that that really varies I think on the whole cats don't tend to 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 enjoy being lifted up um but I mean, there's there's always ones that break the rule and there are some that are completely comfortable with that. Dogs, again, I would say it's not a natural thing for them. So um, I think you'll always get individuals, if it's something they've been used to and it's always been done in a way where they've never felt threatened or fearful in, in when in that situation, then, then they may be comfortable with it. But on the whole, I would say just let them be as as natural as as they can be um, and and it's as i say it's all about giving choices so when they're in your arms they've not really got the choice to move away from you if you want if they want to whereas if they they're on the floor if they're near you, you know, it's because they want to be. And I think that's nicer then, you know, they're choosing to, to hang out with you. So what's your view on like uh, doggy rucksacks? Because I only ask because Pops now, she can only walk for about 30 minutes and any longer than that she's she's done. Mm. She's an older girl now. And, but I still, I've really enjoyed during lockdown as, as walking myself. I found actually now I've found a little bit of a hobby. I really enjoy it. But I want her to come with me. So, what if I and I've seen these advertised? Are they a good idea, or or are you a bit against them? Uh, I'll be honest; it's not it's not something I've ever sort of had experience of or or, or used myself. I think you'd probably want to speak to a, a behaviorist about it to be able to really learn, so that you know whether they're comfortable or not, and then you then then you yourself can enjoy and relax. Yeah, I don't want to frighten way. her by just going right. Get in that pops and mm-hmm. <laughs> going out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think she'd like that. But mm-hmm. she loves she loves. Loves like you know when we're out in the car sometimes, especially in the summer. Sticks her head out the window, and she loves it. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, would she still enjoy that? But yeah, maybe it's a, a case of you know seeing a speaking to a behaviourist and, and mm-hmm. doing it slowly. Explore that they, together. Why do they do that when you're in the car? Why do they want to stick their <laughs> their head out the window? I mean, obviously to get fresh air. But is there something else behind it? I, I don't think it's been linked to anything sort of evolutionary. I think it is just that feeling of 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 she loves the it, wind yeah. and yeah. Um, I guess 
it, it's um it's their personality some some dogs absolutely hate traveling in the car and and just totally go in on themselves and that would be the last thing that they choose to do so I think it's it's usually a sign that they're they're quite comfortable travelers when when they do that and yeah you see their mouth opens and the tongue's lolling out and it's yeah it's all the <laughs> smells um I must just mention because I feel as if we've left our our um our biggies out and it's 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 our horses mm-hmm. why do they nudge you so I mean I think a lot of the time uh, it's it's a a clever way of them saying come on come on mum give me a treat I know you've got a tasty polo that I've smelled in your pocket there I know that's what I used to find so it is a attention uh, but but um it, 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 there's a whole variety of reasons there's a theme here <laughs> so um so yeah sometimes you, you might see it if you've just finished riding and you you, you dismount and uh, my my horse used to have a little nudge on me then and I think it was a way of her kind of itching after exercising and stretching out other times it might be a way of them expressing that they're, they're not really sure what you're asking of them so you might be trying to train something new and they because they just they're like I don't know what you want me to do here that's their way of expressing that and they might nudge you I mean owners will view it differently some people will will see it as a as a problem and something that they don't want to continue so then you've got to make sure you're not inadvertently rewarding it with food so by giving them the polo so that that, you know that's just reinforcing that whereas other people will see it as a the horse might nudge them when they're grooming them and and it's a way of bonding with the horse so yeah it it, and and in that case they don't necessarily want to discourage it so it it, it depends on 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 that relationship and, and when they're doing it. We've got some gorgeous ponies in in a field um, where on a walk that Poppy and I go on, and there's two of them in one field and two in the um, in the opposite one, and one side always come and say hello to me, and then the other they it's like they see me us coming and they they walk away and I'm talking to them but they just walk away. Probably prefer Coronation Street. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, not her again. <laughs> Just because you're someone unfamiliar, maybe they are. Yeah, and and I mean, sometimes even if you're a familiar person to a horse, they enjoy being out in the field so much. They think actually, when you're coming near me, it's because you want to bring me into the stable overnight, and I'm not a fan of that. Ah, so <laughs> they ah. they walk in the opposite direction. I think I'm one of these people that always just is with animals. I just want to say I want to know if they love me. Because I love them, I, any any animal, I just, I just, you know, I'm obsessed with. So how do how do we how do we recognise those signs? How do I know that Poppy Dog loves me? How does Kay know that B loves her? I think it, it it depends so much on 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 the species because as we've sort of talked through today, they've all got those unique ways of communicating with us and and also the breed as we found. So with dogs, I think they've got so many lovely ways of showing us. That, that they love us they, they they're social they they've got that need to hang out with us so everything from you know that lovely greeting that they can do where the whole body goes wiggly and loose and the tails wagging and their ears go back yeah. and inviting you to socially interact with them through to sort of wanting to rest with you whether that be by your feet or for some dogs they'll want to snuggle right into you on the sofa through to different breeds as I said before some we've bred for companionship whereas others to work for different purposes. So someone who's got a husky, they might not necessarily have been bred to enjoy the the physical touch as much as as, as something like, say, a chihuahua. But that's not to say that they don't enjoy being with you. It's just that they've got slightly different 
different needs. And then if we look at cats, you know, they're not as dependent on us um, socially because by nature they are more of a solitary species, but they can have some really beautiful relationships with people and bond really well with people. It's just that rather than wanting to be with you all the time, they might um, they might want to dip in and out a little bit more. So they they tend to prefer lots of frequent but low intensity interactions with you. And I know I've noticed that since working from home more, my cats will um, will tend to hop up onto the desk and say, "Come on, give me a bit of fuss now," and rub the cheeks against my hand. And uh, and but then other parts of the day, they just want to sit on a chair near me. And then for large parts of the day, she'll go off outside and explore independently but I still know she loves me because of those little moments yeah yeah because sometimes like Poppy would get get in her bed but put her back towards me and I think have you got the hump what's what's wrong (laughs) why why do they do that and then I sort of googled it oh yeah and is it? Uh, I read it was like a sign of respect. That one, I, I think we're probably overanalyzing there. I think that's probably. But where I need put- to know she has <laughs> a hump with me. I, I would say it's probably she's just putting herself in the most comfortable position, and she's not thinking like we would that by having my back to you is is a sign of uh, rejection, of respect, or rejection. Oh. She's yeah. I really don't think. She oh, would she's be getting thinking about it in that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm pleased you said that. <laughs> I tell you, I heard something quite funny this week. I don't know, Kayleigh, whether you would agree with this or not, but um, it was about parrots. And I have to mm-hmm. say, I'm not a bird person. Uh, I watched The Birds, the Hitchcock movie, when I was young, and I'm afraid it just uh, put me off yeah. my life. But mm-hmm. my dad had a budgie right enough that he adored. But um, anyway, parrots, you know how there's this sort of thing about they can mimic people really well and they often get into sweary <laughs> you know, sweary things. Um, and that apparently they do that because they enjoy the reaction that it gets. I mean, obviously, if if a parrot is swearing, then we're all going to laugh and, you know, we're mm. going to be reacting to it. And that the parrot is actually doing it for a reaction. Mm. Um, could that be the case? I think so. Yeah, I absolutely really? think so. Yeah, uh, yeah I think oh. they are reading what's happening around them at the time they're doing a certain behavior and based on if it's a response, you know, that's reinforcing that that's, that's going to make them do that more often. So, yeah, I think that's if, if they're picking up on certain words, then what's happening at the time of saying that absolutely must be reinforcing it. Oh. I love that. I know. It's good, isn't it? Because I, I think birds are so difficult to work out. Yeah. You know, I mean, furry things, you know, we're more used to, more familiar with. But birds to me are utterly mm. alien. I, mm. I, I, I can't sort of find a point of connection. And so just when I read that story, I thought, God, that's really charming. It made me feel better about birds in general. I think that's wonderful. Showbiz parrot. <laughs> yeah. Showbiz birds. <laughs> hmm. uh, do you know what? It's been it's been a joy. Thank you. I, I, I've learned so much today. And thank you, Kaylee. Thank you very much, Kay. Thank you. That's it for this petcast, but there's tons more information on our website, bluecross.org.uk slash podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with fellow pet lovers. And if you love it, write us a review on your podcast app. It will help people to find the series more easily. I'm Emma Barton. The Petcast is a Bengo Media production for Blue Cross. Blue Cross.